Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Follow your heart, take courage, do the thing that you really want to do because if you don't, you'll always wonder and it'll always bother you. Today I'm talking to Miranda Kershaw. Miranda is an avid supporter of the UK nuclear industry and has worked in commercial and business director roles interfacing with nuclear companies for many years. And in her current role, she's a commercial director for Circular One Health, a firm that was created as a result of COVID to provide services to business, including the nuclear sector, to ensure workplaces are COVID secure and they're able to test their staff. Miranda was a founder and former president of and chair of Women in Nuclear UK and was awarded an MBE in 2017 for services to equal opportunities in the nuclear industry. In her free time, Miranda has all sorts of interests, including the flying trapeze. Maybe we'll find out a bit more about that as we go through. But Miranda, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Andrew. It's an absolute pleasure. I hope I can live up to that excellent introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know what everyone will be asking is, tell us about the flying trapeze first. (laughs) Yeah, it is quite, it's quite fun. Um, I've always loved ballet, dance, any kind of performing art. I've been in amateur dramatics. I've done all of that stuff. And um, it's sort of my hidden secret passion, really. It's what I kind of always wanted to get into professionally if truth be told, but I never, I I guess I just didn't have the courage to go for it. And that's, you know, that's just, you know, you either have it or you don't. And I guess that's how some people are successful and others aren't. I, you know, I would go to some of these shows like Cirque du Soleil and think, oh my goodness, you know, I'd watch people doing silks, which is, you know, when you're kind of hanging from these long silk um, almost like curtains from the ceiling and you do sort of all sorts of acrobatics and I just thought that is amazing and I just feel I can do that <laughs> I don't know why but I just felt I'm I really should do that and for years and years I really wanted to do it but I never tried it I, and then I think I think it was sort of about the time I was going to be 40 and um, and I just went I'm going to just do it. It was sort of almost like a New Year's resolution. I was like, I'm going to run the marathon and I'm going to start flying trapeze and, you know, all these things. Uh, And it wasn't actually flying trapeze. It was silks I really wanted to do um, or any kind of circus arts anyway. So I joined the the School for Circus Arts over in um, Shoreditch in London. And I just, the first... In the first sort of term, you try three different skills. So you do flying trapeze, static trapeze and rope. And rope is what leads you to silk. So rope is like a rope hanging from the ceiling that you then have to kind of climb up and do different acrobatics of things. And I found rope really hard. It's really uncomfortable climbing like barefoot, barelegged on a rope. (laughs) And I just didn't enjoy it, but I did love flying and static trapeze. 
I just got went on to do, I got through level one of flying trapeze and then I just started level two when I got pregnant and moved to Cumbria. <laughs> Oh, I, think that's absolutely I loved fantastic. it. I absolutely loved it. It was just, um, yeah, the sense of um, exhilaration, I guess, is is fantastic. Let's take you back then, um, because you spent a lot of your childhood in Cyprus. So tell us about what it was like there and what you were like at school and uh, growing up. Um, so growing up in Cyprus at the time when I was uh, kind of from the age of five, I would say, um, when I was there, um, was, it was a safe place. I mean, my mom is Greek Cypriot and there was a family sort of decision to move back there when I was that age and my, and my brother was six. Um, and it was a safe place. It was a sunny, warm place. Um, it was, you know, it was far, far less developed than it is today. So, um, so it was a really lovely environment. Um, and yeah, um, schooling there, uh, I wasn't massively academic. I wasn't very good at school, um, certainly earlier on. And then when I got to um, kind of O-levels as they were, GCSEs, um, I sort of surprised people with my quite good re results. <laughs> I was like, how did Miranda do that? Um, and then I sort of like <laughs> had a downturn again at A-levels. So um, I, I think, you know, overall kind of, I had a happy child, you know, relatively happy childhood in Cyprus. You know, it was a kind of nice experience, but I didn't really understand the importance of academia or, you know, being good at school. I wasn't good at maths. I was much more good at kind of um, literature and languages and art and things like that. And, and my absolute passion was ballet. I, I spent most days um, going to ballet classes. And if I wasn't in the ballet class, I was teaching it. I was, you know, I was teacher's assistant. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, in my mind, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a dancer. So um, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was it. That was my focus. I wasn't interested in school and academia so much. So you then moved from Cyprus to London. So tell us a little bit about that and, and how you found that, because I imagine sort of you had family here in, in London and so on. So you knew the place, but I guess culturally it was a bit of a challenge. Weather-wise, it must've been a bit of a challenge. <laughs> tell us yeah. about that. Um, I think weather-wise, it was a challenge for many years, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure I ever got used to the weathering in England, although now, funnily enough, I can't cope with the level of heat. Um, you know, mm. I can't imagine coping with the level of heat that you get, like in summer in Cyprus now. It's like gone up to 46 sort of degrees, that sort of thing we didn't even have back then. But um, yeah, um, coming back to the UK and to London, um, yes, I had grandparents here. I went straight to live with my grandmother, my uncle and his family lived next door, cousins that, you know, that I sort of was close with, uh, even though we were sort of um, living in Cyprus and they were in England. Uh, so I had a sort of, I had a network already set up from a family and relatives perspective, um, but definitely I didn't really know what I was doing. And, and I kind of, almost reflected on this today actually I, I I cope with change very well I sort of adapt and I just kind of I just take it in my stride I just go right this is what I'm doing now um but I've realized that 
afterwards subconsciously it affects me in a way that consciously I don't realize it's affecting me so I kind of I feel the impact in a kind of you know I, I get stressed about things or I feel like I lack my confidence in things um but I don't consciously realize almost that it's happened because I've I've made loads of changes in my life um so it's quite interesting but um yeah uh, at the time I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I started a course at Middlesex in French and German. I did that for a year. And then I went, mm, this is not really taxing me. I'm gonna kind of move. And so I went through the clearing and, and found a course which was European studies at Brunel, which I applied into. And when I arrived for the interview, they told me that they had decided that there, were, there wasn't enough um, interest in the course and therefore they were gonna cancel it but they were instead going to be doing European politics. And did I still want to go ahead with the interview? <laughs> so I sort of went, okay. I mean, I traveled like across London to get there. Um, and um, I, I didn't know anything really about politics. I mean, I knew about Cy Cyprus politics, you know, the problems between the Greeks and the Turks in Cyprus, um, but I wasn't really interested at all. And I hadn't taken history at A-level. So I was sort of like really quite oblivious to the whole thing. And I do think that Cyprus is a little bit cocooned, a little bit isolated from the rest of the world in some ways, you know, you're an island and you're just kind of very internally focused. And so I, I didn't really have a good understanding of what was going on in the rest of the world. So I just went into this interview and got an unconditional offer on the spot, which was really weird um, because I didn't really have much to show for. Um, and I just thought, okay, let's try that for a while. <laughs> so I went into, yeah, um, a BA honors in um, European politics and French. So I still wanted to do my, uh, at least one language, um, which was a three year course with a semester in France. And yeah, um, I would say that, you know, I was learning everything from scratch. So it was quite hard, you know, I didn't have the background and, you know, knowledge of the history and I wasn't really interested I found in the European politics bit I was much more interested in American politics much more sensational you know really interesting media wise <laughs> so I kind of found myself picking modules that didn't necessarily align that much with European politics and I also was really interested in things like moral philosophy so doing kind of those and, and like sociology so I did all sorts of really interesting modules that didn't necessarily say European politics but that was the degree I ended up with. It's quite nice isn't it that at university that you do have this flexibility and it sounds like that course gave you lots of flexibility to try things out and to see see yeah. what you thought of all of these sorts of things. Yeah so it was it was yeah kind of foundational in a way and you think a degree you should be kind of like getting to expert level in things and it wasn't the case at all in, in my case but um but it you know it gave me an interesting basis to to start from and see where it took me sort of thing so what do you think you sort of learned about yourself during those university years um i think i learned that i still wasn't academic so i found it very hard to when i was reading you know lengthy <laughs> tombs on history or politics that I found it very hard to stay focused and it's something that I've always had to kind of fight fight against is that I find it very hard to stay focused on lots and lots of reading um, but what I also found that was really surprising is that 
as long as somebody gives me a summary of what it is, or I kind of like skim through it, I can then produce a pretty good test result. <laughs> um, so it was really awful because in my halls of residence, there was another girl who was really studious. She was always in the library. And I was always kind of like out partying. So <laughs> when I, um, you know, when I would come up to sort of like the night before a test or an exam, I would sort of go and hang out in her room and sort of ask her loads of questions and try and understand the top topic. And sometimes I'd get a better result than her in the exam because her English wasn't her first language. So she fell down on the ability to express herself. So it was a real, real shame for her. And I'm sure very frustrating. <laughs> But um, yeah, so that was really interesting. And I think, you know, what I really learned at university was about life and relationships. I had my first serious, serious relationship um, there and um, yeah, kind of learned about, um, I think coming from Cyprus again, it was that sort of sense of, I'd been really cocooned growing up and coming into, you know, my boyfriend at the time was like, don't you know how to boil an egg? You know, it's like basic things. But I just went, oh, <laughs> crikey. And, you know, um, I learned a lot about politics from the media, you know, like just kind of looking at what was going on with the different parties at the time and Blair and, um, you know, the way he was kind of capturing all, all the sort of um, different uh, constituents sort of thing from different parties because he was positioning himself in the center and you know, those kind of things were really interesting um, and I think perhaps a learning of myself of kind of where my interest in that lies versus you know the academic side and that, that kind of thing about myself I think. Yeah it, it, university gives you a time I always think to sort of step back a little bit uh, because it's not about just reading the books and regurgitating what you read, although you need to do that to get through the exams, but it is that sort of more wider appreciation of what things are really about. And lots, a lot of it is about people. And, you know, that's where you're really, you know, really strong. Um, so tell us about you. You then went and spent a bit of time out in the US as a nanny, as a PA and things. And, and that had its ups and downs, I think. Tell us a little bit about that time. Yeah, um, so my uncle was friends with the founder of the Hard Rock Cafe and the House of Blues um, out in LA. Um, very sadly, he'd lost his wife to bone cancer the year before, and he had an 11-year-old daughter, and he needed a nanny to kind of step in because the nanny that they had was, um, was going to study. But also he wanted a nanny from the UK because his intention was to send his daughter to boarding school in the UK. So he wanted someone who was going to kind of help her get used to what people are like here, I guess, you know, what that experience would be like. Um, and so I took the role and he needed sort of support with um, administering his new business that he had and working with his business partner and things like that. So, um, so I, um, I'd actually kind of taken a summer job at a hotel in Cyprus and I, I absolutely loved it. I was an animator, <laughs> which is basically like entertaining children and, and doing sort of um, uh, aqua, uh, aqua aerobics and stuff. And I, I, I was thinking of going into hotel management and then I, I just suddenly dropped it to go and have this experience in LA. I was like, my God, this is amazing. And he knows Tom, um, he knows uh, Dan Aykroyd and people like that. And, oh, I could meet all sorts of interesting people. I could start my 
performing arts career you know like I had no idea but I was like maybe something's going to come of this so I went for it and um it was really tough I found that I was working I was basically a, a substitute parent he was never around he was um you know he was going through a lot of of pain I think and and he'd had problems with his businesses as well and I think he just didn't quite know how to deal with life. So he was he was just not present. And I just had to take over the kind of running of the household. And I was 25, you know, I didn't really know how to run anything at the time, alone a household and a 11 year old kid. You'd learned to boil an egg, I suppose, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there were vegetarians, which was even harder as well, because I, I had no idea what to do with vegetables that would make them interesting or, you know. <laughs> so I kept giving the poor girl the same same food every single day at school and it never even occurred to me that she would get tired of that and <laughs> she didn't say anything and I then felt terrible because I found out she was swapping her her food with her friends and I was like oh my god um but yeah I really didn't know what I was doing and it was really tough and I had some some pretty tough experiences um which stayed with me for a long time um, but, you know, I think a really, really interesting learning experience to kind of, again, like kind of shift out of your comfort zone and go, I'm going to just try this and what happens happens. It's a risk, but it's worth taking. And, you know, met some fabulous people along the way, um, made some really great friends, had some fun visiting other friends um, and my brother's friends who were kind of like living in different parts of the US as well. So I didn't often get a weekend off. Um, but I, you know, when I did, I would kind of like go, right, I'm getting on an internal flight, I'm going to Chicago, I'm going to Texas, and I would just go and visit people that I knew from school or university. And, um, and that was amazing. So, you know, there were positives and just a lot life lessons, I think, you know, like, it put me off having kids for a really long time. It was a really tough relationship with the with the girl who obviously was, you know, a really bad place. But I didn't know how to deal with that then. And, um, and, and that's why I didn't have children until after the age of 40. I think I just couldn't even be around them for a long time. So yeah, yeah. really, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting experience. It's a lot, lot of pressure on young shoulders, that, isn't it? Yeah. You sort of described stepping outside your comfort zone, and it sounds as if you were treating it a bit like an adventure, which made it exciting to step out. Was that right, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I I thought it was a super adventure, and, and, and I... I had a very adventurous spirit, you know, I was all up for, you know, I'm getting out of Cyprus. You know, I was itching to get out of Cyprus when I was 18. And then I was like, right, where to next? You know, <laughs> So I absolutely was up for the adventure. And, you know, and you've got to accept that those adventures are not always going to be as easy as you'd like them to be, but they'll, they'll always be learning. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So then you, you, you came back to the UK and contrast of contrasts you sort of ended up working in the nuclear industry association yeah. so <laughs> la hard rock cafe lifestyle <laughs> challenging into the nia challenging mm. in different ways i suppose mm. um tell us a little bit about your role at the, at the nia and and how you manage that sort of transition um yeah, um, so NIA, um, I started out as a temp. I didn't really quite know what to do next. And I just temped as a PA to the chairman and the chief executive, uh, Adrian Hamm at the time, and, and Tony Cooper was the, the chairman just after I joined, um, which was 
an amazing person to um, to work with actually uh, taught me a lot um, but uh, I didn't really know what nuclear was you know coming from Cyprus we didn't have nuclear there and I had no idea you know apart from the obvious you know like had a sense of Chernobyl but that was about it um, so it was interesting going in and I you know I was just a PA and then at some point Adrian asked me if I would stay permanently as his PA and I said well you know, I've got a degree, I kind of wanted to do something with it. I don't really want to be a PA for the rest of my life. So he put me on a journalism course actually at City University and I became his PA, but also supporting the media manager. And so I got into marketing and um, media and um, started produ producing their publication um, industry link. Yeah, and I, I got into that whole world and it was, it was really interesting, I, I think, what I really enjoyed was that I was learning new things all the time. And I, you know, I ended up there for seven years because it was always learning. And I, and, and also I was always progressing, which was wonderful. You know, it was great. Um, and I found this industry that I kind of felt a bit like a safe home. You know, you, you got to know everyone quite quickly. And I very quickly joined the YGN from the get go actually. Mm. And so I very quickly build this, built this network of you know great young people who were you know full of passion and excitement and enthusiasm and um and just got involved with the YGN so I went onto the committee and I got involved with all of that um made friends for life again and um and and also you know within NIA um met people who became friends for life um and you know over the course of the kind of time there different people that came and went and just, um, yeah, I, I, I just fell in love with the industry. So after seven years at the NIA, you then moved to CH2M Hill. Yes, it was CH2M Hill at the time, at yes. The time. Uh, well, CH2M, it's actually Jacobs now. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> they all changed, don't they, over the years? Yeah. Uh, so, so what were you doing there and what sort of prompted the role? Did you feel ready for a change? Was it an opportunity that came knocking or what? Um, I was ready for a change. There was a little hiatus actually. Um, so I, yeah, I'd been at NIA seven years. I'd progressed to corporate affairs manager. I really enjoyed it, but I was ready for that next move. I've been there a long time. Um, and I, um, went through an agency actually, and I got a job with the food and drink federation. So a similar trade association, trade body, but not in the same sector. And I was there for six weeks. I learned more than I had in years at the Nuclear Industry Association in that six weeks. It was fascinating working with like the Coca-Colas and the Nestle's and the, all of those kind of big companies. And I did loads in that short space of time, but um, I met uh, at the annual dinner, at the, the, uh, the NINIA annual dinner, um, some people from CHTM Hill at the time who really wanted a kind of a UK representative that would be involved with their Sellafield bid for the PBO, the management of, of Sellafield um, as a kind of as an organization. And they wanted someone who had relationships with stakeholders in the industry, government, industry, trade unions, all of that, councils, etc. And I had a lot of those relationships. And um, and they basically 
chased me down is the only way I can say it because I turned them down about three times and um and I was thinking why are these guys offering me this job it's crazy um in the end they just gave me an offer I couldn't refuse and I had to go <laughs> and I can't and it was interesting because I cried leaving the nuclear industry I cried saying goodbye to YG because I was about I was co-chair um with Neil Crudson at the time and Rebecca was the chair um and um uh Be Becky Ferris and um I was really upset because I was meant to be the next chair and I was really upset because I wasn't going to do it because I was leaving the industry and then I was suddenly like actually I'm going back to what I what I know and love and this is going to be another kind of exciting adventure I guess yeah so so was it did you find it hard to leave the sort of food and drink side of things or did you feel that no I've I've learned to load but I'm really excited about this moving back into nuclear yeah I, I think I'd yeah. learned I'd learned to load um and and things that I felt I could bring back to nuclear you know I went straight into NIA and I said have you thought about doing this stuff because <laughs> we've just been doing it there and it just is really useful um so I think that's when they started sending out kind of newsletters to their members and stuff like that um but um yeah I I went into this completely new world of suddenly I was like flying to the States and meeting these really like high powered people, American people um, who ran, you know, who ran CH Turn Hill, different divisions of CH Turn Hill. And, you know, we were having really interesting strategic conversations about, you know, their bid and Sellafield and the nuclear industry in the UK and all the different issues. and. Um, and being part of that bid was extraordinary. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. So then, then you moved on to Atkins and from Atkins to, to Ernst & Young. Um, you spent some time uh, business development with governments and Europe and, um, uh, and other things. Tell us about some of the high points in that. Did you, are there any moments you can think of in, in either of those companies where you had that feeling you know you, you get this feeling every so often we think I'm just in the right place at the right time doing mm. the right thing did you have any of those sorts of moments yeah definitely with Atkins um I was um head of a business for Europe and South Africa and I found myself on flights to South Africa every couple of months um, and, you know, pretty much single-handedly going over there, I didn't know anyone. I'd just reach out to people from like ESCOM and the kind of target companies on LinkedIn. And, you know, I just found my way through to meetings and I would go over there and start meeting people. And, you know, I'd work with our partner company at the time, Asystem. Um, there'd be one person usually that might come with me or might meet, meet me there not always, but occasionally. And, you know, we'd work together, we'd put bids together. Um, and I, you know, I'd sit on the airplane on the way back and think, I am so lucky. Like how, um, how have I done this? How have I landed this situation, this job? It's amazing. Like, I absolutely love South Africa. It's just more colorful than anywhere else, you know, because the sky is so blue and it makes everything so, you know, like the sun just shines and everything just looks vibrant and the people are vibrant and it's just amazing. And I was like, how on earth have I ended up in this situation? Like, I was this like rubbish at school kind of kid. I don't even know how this has happened. And it just felt incredibly um, privileged and grateful to my boss for giving me that opportunity at the time 
um, it was it was a brilliant job and I absolutely loved it. Um, so that was definitely kind of one of those moments. And, you know, I got to meet some amazing people, like really senior people, both in government and uh, and in industry in different countries in South Africa and Poland. And those kind of things that, you know, just make you think, wow, I'm really lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of EY, um, the minute I walked into EY and I saw how they were set up and how they worked, I just thought it was amazing. It was nothing like anything I'd ever seen before because they recognized skills in people, competency. They focused on competency. They weren't focused on, you know, one person has to do everything, which was kind of like tended to be my experience all the way through my career until then. They went, right, you're good at this, you're good at this, you're good at this, you're good at this. You four get together and work out a solution to this problem or, you know, find a way to kind of like propose something really cool. And it was such a brilliant way of doing things because actually teams are more effective um, and teams with kind of diverse, you know, skills and points of view and stuff. Um, And I just was like, this is really smart. And it was in really nice offices, which always helps. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's really good, isn't it? That, and, and it sort of speaks a little bit to one thing I just want to touch on, which is diversity, because diversity of skills, viewpoints, perspective, as well as characteristics and all the rest of it, playing to those things builds stronger, more effective teams, doesn't it? And, and one of the features you know, of your career is is around equal opportunities, women in nuclear uh, uh, and all of that. Can you say a little bit about your motivation or where you think some of the challenges remain and what people can be doing to encourage that kind of more diverse viewpoint and working? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the interesting thing about how WIN started was it it wasn't my recognition of all that necessarily. What it was my recognition of was that 10 years after I'd started at NIA and saw how differently men and women see the nuclear industry, nothing had changed. Women still were, you know, like their favorability to nuclear was still dramatically lower than men's. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we are not reaching that audience. What is going on? Why are we not? And um, it was literally an NIA conference that I saw the, the the presentation, I think from Mori or whatever. And I was like, this is crazy. We've got to do something about this. And at the same time, um, uh, there was someone, Becca Hollyhead, at, um, uh, PW, PwC at the time, um, she was thinking about the skills thing, the skill, you know, like lack of diversity in this, the skills capability in the industry. She was looking into it and she was interested in that. And we both went to NIA um, separately to say, we think we need a woman in nuclear because that's an issue here to address. And they went, you guys need to speak. And yes, you need to do it. Just do it. <laughs> and they got NI involved. And yeah, we just went, yeah, let's do it. And, and I was absolutely passionate about it. You know, it's really difficult when you start doing something extracurricular that ends up being much, you know, like kind of, you want to do it all the time. You know, it's just like, oh, um, but yeah. And then I realized about, you know, the kind of competency, that, that kind of internal diversity in the nuclear industry and the lack, lack thereof. Um, and um, 
you know, we started to find ways of how to address it, how to address, like how, how to engage the women that were in the nuclear industry and, and understand, you know, their issues and their problems and their career progression blockers and all of that stuff. And we started kind of doing the mentoring and the speed mentoring and, and, and seeing like, but like from the outset, amazing results people kind of coming to us and saying you know this has changed my life or you know just amazing kind of feedback um that had just helped them to connect or help them to break through an issue or um and it just um you know it was just amazing I, I just absolutely loved it and you know the more I got into it I you know more I understood about the whole diversity piece we set up yeah, Win UK, and then uh, I was involved with setting up Win Cumbria. We, we did we started setting up the kind of regional um, Win branches, and then we set up Win Cumbria. I was involved with that team for a while. Like after I had my uh, well, before I had my son, just before actually, <laughs> I remember the week that I went into labour, possibly the day before. I was actually at a Win at the first Win Cumbria event it's like huge I was absolutely huge um but yeah and then kind of a little bit afterwards um I remember going to one of the Wind Cumbria meetings with my baby son at the time um so yeah I and you know it continues to be a massive issue we can't meet the targets that we've set ourselves to the the the, the 40% by uh, 2030 and all that sort of thing it's not even achievable because you have to be hiring 50% men and women like from last from five years ago sort of thing so there's so much that you kind of have to do that but we have to try there's got to be targets because it will it'll drive us in a direction the right direction um but you know you look at the industry now there's still a lot of um uh lack of diversity and uh gender imbalance uh there's still a lot of behaviors you know that that you know need need addressing um and if you look at cumbria um you know diversity of gender ethnic diversity doesn't even exist here it's a real problem we just don't understand you know the mindset of you know the people in london sort of thing you know it's just it's not um you know it's it's not relative to the overall uk population so um, you know, all of that needs more thinking about, or more working on, you know, like Monica Mangi and people like that have set up additional sort of organizations to address it. And, you know, all of that is good. The more we do all of that, and, you know, I think, you know, the MBE was a recognition of starting on a journey that needed to be started rather than necessarily I've done amazing things. Yeah, yeah but, but, but really good to have that recognition because it, it, it raises the profile of the issue. And as you say, the new inclusion, diversity and nuclear that Monica's set up and so on is, is pushing and hopefully building momentum, not thinking it's job done, but we've got to keep pushing this and we've got to be, keep taking action and creating opportunities and all the rest of it. So really grateful for what you're doing, uh, what you did then and what you're continuing to do as well, you know. So I'm going to take you back now. And I, I always like to think of a moment when you could give your younger self one little piece of advice. And I'm just thinking of you pitching up at Brunel University to be told that they're not going to run the course. And do you want to stay for the interview sort of thing? Well, first of all, I would tell myself, follow your heart, you know, take courage, do the thing that you really want to do, because if you don't, you'll always wonder and it'll always bother you. Um, so, you know, follow your passion. 
give it a try because if it you know it doesn't work it doesn't matter there's always other other things um but equally you know having not done it and having had the experience that I have had I would say it doesn't matter what you do don't worry about it just do something because you'll always end up somewhere interesting (laughs) (laughs) well that's true that's absolutely right there's all sorts of opportunities and, and there's all sorts of pathways as well yeah, you know, and ways to express yourself and, and who you are and, and be authentic and be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, Miranda, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been really great to talk to you too. If you've enjoyed this podcast, To help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.